morning's responsive reading is taken from the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew in chapter number 2. We'd like to read responsively the first 12 verses of the chapter, verses 1 through 12. Allow me to begin reading in verse number 1, and now we read the succeeding odd-numbered verses through verse 11. Would you please read with me in unison, beginning in verse number 2, along with the succeeding even-numbered verses through verse number 12. And in respect to the reading of the Word of God, once again, I invite you to stand. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, and reading responsively. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, and thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not thou the least among the churches of Judah? For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when ye have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed. And lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures... They presented unto him gifts, gold, and frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. May God have his blessing in the reading of his word. Let's make our prayer. Now, Heavenly Father, Spirit of God, I pray that you might take this very familiar passage of Scripture to most every Christian in this room. And bring it alive again, afresh and anew. Speak to our hearts through this one text verse this morning. We thank you for your unspeakable gift. We pray these things and ask that you would be honored and glorified. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We've had a series of messages this month of December as we draw to this day here, of course. We preached three Sundays ago on the prophecies of his first and second coming, or his first and second advent. Two weeks ago, we preached on the subject of the anticipation from Luke chapter 2 and chapter 1 of his first and second coming. Last Sunday, we preached on the preparation of his first and second coming from Luke chapter 2. And this morning, our text verse is verse number 11 to a very familiar story. We could certainly have divided verses 1 through 12 of this passage from Matthew chapter 2 into four messages easily. We could have saw the wise men in detail, the wise men in the star. Then we could have seen the wise men in the scriptures. 
the wise men in their sojourning, their, their travels, and then, of course, the wise men and the Savior. But I want you to draw your attention to the wise men this morning in their sacrifice. It's found in verse 11. It is our text verse. And the Bible says, And when they were come into the house, it's very probable that Jesus was at least 40 days old at this time, and he's still in, in Jerusalem and there in Bethlehem. He's no longer in the stable. He's in the house. And he's a young child, though, as the Bible says. They saw the young child with Mary, his mother. The Bible says, and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they, and here's our key phrase, they presented unto him gifts, gold, and frankincense, and myrrh. Time does not give us, we don't have details enough or time enough to go through a a lengthy dissertation of who these magi or who these wise men were, but I want to tell you who they, what we don't know about them, three things that we don't know about these wise men. We don't know, first of all, who they were. Now, there's a certain worldwide church that gave names to three of these and say this is, and this is church tradition, that one was named Anason, he brought the gold. Other, the other was Aliar, and he brought the frankincense, and Kaisad, he brought the myrrh. This is purely church tradition, and it's not found in the Word of God. It could be true. It could not be true. Uh, I wouldn't bake on it uh, uh, myself, but we don't know who they were. We don't know their real names. We don't know, secondly, where they came from. We know they came from the East because the Bible tells us so. And so we're left to conjecture. We have good evidence, and we'll get ahead and find out in just a few moments here where they probably came from, but we don't know exactly where they came from. The Bible says they just came from the east. And thirdly, we, the third thing we do not know about the wise men is we really don't know how many there, there were. And we use the, the uh, song that was written 150 years ago by a preacher, We Three Kings of Orient Are, we plan on singing it tonight in the Christmas Eve service and the silent night service. And we conjecture that there were three kings because there were three gifts that were identified as given. But some historians believe that it's very probable that a great caravan came from the Far East. And maybe there's upwards to 100 of these sovereigns, of these kings, of these princes that came. We have no idea how many there were. We have no idea what countries they actually literally came from, although we have some good conjecture. We don't know who they were. We don't know their names. But here's what we do know. And I, again, hurry along in our way of introduction. We, know that we do know that they knew the scriptures. We looked at it last week, and let me just give you and they, 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 they spoke about it to Herod, the king. They knew that uh, they saw his star in the east. How did they know about the star? Because 1,500 years earlier, in Numbers chapter 24, verse 17, we referenced it last week, and I referenced it again. Balaam's prophecy, I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. 1,500 years before, one verse in the Bible was written, and these wise men, these magi, believed the word of God. They believed that one verse and they took this trip because they believed the Bible to be true. Maybe they knew, maybe they knew the prophecy of a thousand years earlier from their where, where, time they, they lived. So I'm referring to Psalm 72 and verse number 10, which says, The kings of Tarshish and of the isles shall bring presents. The kings of Sheba and Seba shall offer gifts. Maybe they realized that they were in direct fulfillment to that Biblical promise was made a thousand years earlier. Or maybe they knew Isaiah 60 in verse number 6. It was written 740 years before they were made their pilgrimage, which says, The multitude of camels shall cover thee. 
the dromedaries of Median and Ephah, and they and all they of Sheba shall come, and they shall bring gold and incense, and they shall show forth the praises of the Lord. And so I know, well, what do I know about these wise men? I know that they, they knew the scriptures. Then I know, secondly, something else about these wise men. They took a risk. They took a risk. They stepped out, we would say, by faith. They, like Moses, they stepped out not knowing where they went. There was an incredible, dangerous, long journey. Hundreds of miles, at least hundreds of miles, if not thousands of miles, depending on how far from the east they came. Maybe as far away as from East India maybe Mongolia, maybe even China, thousands of miles. 25 years ago, I flew over, I flew to India, and I've told the story many times, we flew to Abu Dhabi and Muscat Oman and the United Arab Emirates, and we made our pit stops, but uh, it was during the Gulf War, and uh, I had a window seat, and my neck was cranked the whole time. I was looking out the window the whole time. It was a clear day that day, and I saw a sea of sand for hundreds of miles, and I knew we were leading up to that, by the way, that first Gulf War, and I knew that, I knew that we were going to go in there and very, very fast and clean house. People were talking about 40,000 body bags. You remember that? You folks that are my, my age and older. And there was going to be another bloodbath, another Vietnam. I said, no, we're going to clean house and we're going to do it fast because there's no place to hide down there. And they traversed those desert sands. They traversed the mountains of, uh, uh, of eastern Iran and so forth, of the Himalayas and so forth. Alexander the Great, 300 years earlier, had lost more men through the mountains and through the winter and through the desert sands than ever lost in battle and his conquering of the world. And these men took this long, dangerous, treacherous trip that probably took at least a, a year or so, maybe two years. They took this trip, they stepped out by faith. They, they stepped out because they believed the scriptures. They based their whole journey on, the, on a couple of vague verses in all the word of God in the Old Testament. I know that they, 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 had a, they took a leap of faith. But thirdly, I know about them that the Bible makes it very clear that they were Gentiles. Uh, we believe, and so I'm getting ahead of myself, but we'll just conjecture. We believe they were somewhere from Arabia, some from Saudi Arabia, from Iran or Persia. Again, Mongolia, maybe East India. They were all Gentiles, not Jews. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave you the power to become the sons of God. So they, I know that these wise men, they were wise in the fact that they believed the scriptures. They were wise in the fact that they stepped out by faith, not knowing where they went, but they just were guided by the star. They were Gentiles, not Jews, not his chosen people. But fourthly, I know, because this text tells us twice in our text, that they came to worship him. They came to the king of the day, and I've been to Herod's palace, the ruins of it. If you've been to the Breakers in Newport, Rhode Island, I know many of you have been there. Herod's palace would equal that, I promise you. And I've been to the ruins of Herod's palace, and he was the king. And they said, they, they told the king, we've come to worship him. Not you, king. We came to worship the babe. And then they said again, in verse number 11 of our text verse, they came and they fell down and they worshiped him. I ask you a question this morning. I hope the answer is pertinent to you and you answer rightly in your heart. Why did you come to church this morning? Hopefully you didn't come to church just because you had to, because it was Christmas Sunday. Hopefully you came to church because you wanted to worship him. He sits upon the throne. So they came to worship. I know a fifth thing about them, and I know it from our text. I know it from the scriptures themselves. They, they knew the scriptures. They, they took a risk. They stepped out by faith. They were Gentiles. 
They came to worship, but then verse number 11, again, our text verse, they gave gifts. They presented unto him, the Bible says, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And you want to know where the, the tradition of Christmas giving comes from? It comes from the wise men. Wise men still seek him. Wise men understand the gift. The wise men, they practice that people have been giving gifts for 2,000 years now. And the practice of gift giving at, at this time of year where we call Christmas time is initiated by the wise men. So I want to deal with the subject of the gifts of his first and second advent or the presentations at his first and second advent. Notice with me, first of all, they came to this babe we saw last Sunday morning. We need not turn back to Luke chapter 2. But I want you to consider for a few moments his gifts to us, that babe in the manger, the one that's always been, the one that lives forever and ever, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. It wasn't that Jesus was born on, on that Christmas day. He was made of a woman on that day. But Jesus has always been and always will be. And I want you to know that the first gift to, uh, to us was the gift of himself. He gave himself, took upon himself the robe of flesh, in Luke chapter 2, we need not turn back there again, but the Bible records that she brought forth, that's Mary brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes. And I had some fun with that word swaddling last week. Wrapped him in grave clothes, grave cloth. Because the everlasting one, the one that lives forever and ever and ever, he was born that he might die. We were born that we might live. We were created to live forever. And that's why if we were to take the time to go very, very fast back to Genesis 3, need not go back there. Most of you know that's the story of the fall. Adam and Eve, they were banished and sin is separation from God. They ran and they hid themselves from God. They died that day. They were separated from God and they were later on in the last part of the chapter of chapter 3 of Genesis, they're, they're driven out of the garden because lest they eat of the tree of life and live forever. God didn't want them to live forever in their sin and separated from him. So he drove them out of the garden. They were clothed with, uh, with, with animals' clothing. Blood had to be shed. And I want you to know blood had to be shed for our, their redemption, for their, their forgiveness, for their temporary forgiveness. But blood had to be shed for our forgiveness as well. And the babe in the cradle would be the Christ on the cross and shed his blood. He gave himself for us. Hebrews 2.9 says it this way, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels. There are certain places around, and I don't mean to be harsh this morning, but there's places they call them kingdom halls. A lot of sincere people go there. A lot of well-meaning people go there, I'm sure. And they, but they're sincere, but they're sincerely wrong. You see, they teach that from Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, that I just quoted, that Jesus was a made being, that he was made a little lower than angels. But the Bible says he was made a little lower. That means... At one time, he was not a little lower. He was above all principalities and powers and things on earth and things under the earth. But he's made a little lower. Why? For the suffering of death, being, uh, being crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Back to the story. This gift that he gave, he gave of himself. He gave to those that were to live forever that the wages of sin is death, and sin brought forth death. He, he died that we might live. He died, tasted death for us. He gave of himself. He went to the cross and bare his own body on that cross for your sin and my sin, all of your sin, the gift of himself. 
Oh, the gift of God, that unspeakable gift that 2 Corinthians 9, 15 speaks about. The gift of himself. But what else was the gift at his first advent? Not only the gift of himself, but later on in this chapter, we see Mary and Joseph, by the Spirit of God, they flee to Egypt. They're warned by the Spirit of God to flee in Egypt. He gave the gift of his spirit. Now, God is one, and this is, this is tutorial time, and this is uh, catechism time. This is theology 101 time for, if you're a new Christian. We believe in one God manifested in three persons. You say, that's impossible. I know it's impossible. We're talking about God. God can know all things are possible. He can do all things. And God manifested himself in the flesh. Emmanuel, God with us. But his spirit, he came and he gave us his spirit. And Jesus Christ, by the way, is all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 24, the Bible would say about 80 years later from this event right here, 90 years later, by his spirit, and we know, hereby we know that he abideth in us by, his, by the spirit which he hath given to us. Jesus, on the last night of his betrayal, or on the night of his betrayal, rather, before he went to the cross, he said in John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17, and I will pray, or I will ask the Father, and he will give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. And he was speaking by the Spirit of God. And, uh, and he shall dwell in you, and, he, and shall be in you. He will not leave us comfortless. When that babe in the manger came, he came to, first of all, give himself when that babe in the manger came, secondly, he not only came to give himself, but he, he said he'd never leave us nor forsake us, but he left and went to the Father, and he gave us his comforter, the Holy Spirit of God. And every child of God has the Spirit. You, get the, you say, how do you get the Spirit? When you speak in an ecstatic language or when you have a supernatural gift? No, you get the Spirit when you receive the gift of God, which is Jesus Christ. When you are saved, you get God's Spirit as well. And so he gave this, the gift of his Spirit that day. But on his first advent, he not only gave the gift of himself, the gift of his spirit, but he gave the gift of the church. Now, you may think as a pastor, I'm blowing my own, our own horn here, but you're totally wrong if you think that way. This is a very special place. Thank you. See that? See how special this place is? That was not choreographed. Did you do that on purpose? That was amazing. I, I didn't, uh, blame I, me. I hit the fader by mistake, my bad. That was perfect timing. How many believe that was a coincidence but a God instance? I believe it's God instance. Now, where was I? Now I forgot my point. <laughs> I got to look at my notes here. Maybe I'll figure out where I'm. Oh, yeah, the church. <laughs> this building's not the church. These nine and a half acres are not the church. Now, I'm thankful for these nine and a half acres, and I'm thankful for our building. And sometimes we call this a sanctuary. But the real sanctuary is in here. The real church is here. I'm talking about the born-again believers in Jesus Christ, the bride of Christ. The gift of his church. He said in Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And I wanted to give you this postulate, this truth, this, if we were in geometry class, this theorem, this postulate, this theorem would turn into a proof. And that is that Jesus Christ died for the church. He loves the church. He gave his blood for it. And this church is more important than you know. 
And let me bring it down to where you live. You don't know. I mean, you don't realize where your life would be without church. We don't want to, we can't play that screen. His church is important. God gave us his church. He died for his church. It's uh, 1 Timothy 3.15. It's the place, it's the church of the living God. The pillar and ground of the truth. Thank God for the institution of the family, Genesis chapter 2 and chapter 3. Thank God for the institution of civil government, Genesis chapter 10. But thank God for the institution of the church, God's institution to win the world to Jesus Christ through the local New Testament church. Don't buy the game. Don't go to Bedside Baptist. Don't go to the, to the universal church, an invisible church. No, you come to a visible church. Like you have a visible family and we have a visible government. You come where God can bless you and be a blessing. The gift of the church, but not only the gift of the church in tandem with the gift of the church. When Jesus came to this earth, he came for the church to die for the church. He came to give his spirit. He came to give of himself. But he, a fourth gift he gave, he gave the gift of fellow laborers. Numbers of verses could be used. But Paul, near the end of his life in Philippians 4, 3, says, And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other of my fellow laborers, whose names are written in the book of life. In 2 Timothy 1, 16, Lord, have mercy upon the house of Onesiphorus, for he hath oft refreshed me and hath not been ashamed of my chains, Paul said. In Ephesians 4, verse 8 and verse 11, and let me paraphrase, the Lord says there that he gave gifts unto, um, he gave, he, he, he sent it up on high and he led captivity captive and he gave gifts unto men. He gave gifts unto men. In verse number 11 it says, he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. For the record, I'm, your, I'm God, one of God's gifts to you. That sounds so arrogant, so, so doesn't it? You're God's gift to me. We're God's gift to each other. Fellow laborers. Do you suppose, hey, do you think that when the wise men were making that several thousand maybe mile journey, at least several hundred mile journey, through treacherous nomadic lands, bad lands, desert lands, mountains, traversing over hill and plain, rivers, all that they went through. Do you think they might have got scared along the way? They might have been ambushed. you think they got discouraged? you think they got tired? you think maybe one of them or two of them said at a certain point, man, I'm discouraged. Maybe we should turn back. Thank God for the fellow laborers who says, no, we've gone this far. Let's keep on going. You know what I want to say to every Christian? This, this, thus far as we've come too far to turn back. You've served the God. You've walked with God for so many years, so many months, so many decades. Keep on serving God now. Be steadfast and mobile of all. He's abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know, your labor will not be in vain in the Lord. The gift of his fellow laborers when he came. But then fifthly, let me quote you a verse. The fifth gift that he gave to us in his coming as he was wrapped in swaddling clothes, came to his born to die. Gave of himself, he gave of his spirit, he gave gift to the church, he gave us fellow laborers. But then in Luke 2, 16, it says this, and they came, that's the shepherds, they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the manger. There's a family. The gift of family. I thank God for this time. Let me just be transparent with you for a moment here. 
Many Christians do not celebrate Christmas, and that's okay. There's reasons why some don't celebrate Christmas, because there's a lot of paganism involved in the, in the, the Christmas. And there was days when many Baptists, by the way, I happen to be a Baptist, didn't celebrate Christmas. And I understand it goes under what we call individual soul liberty. There's a lot of reasons, another message, another time. But one thing, that I, there's a number of reasons why we celebrate or why I choose to celebrate the birth of my Savior. And we do it at this given time of December 25th. He's the light of the world. It was the darkest day of the year last, or yet, what, it was yesterday or day before? 21, lo, lo, darkest day of the year. But the light of the world came after the de- darkest day. I want you to know I celebrate. I'm glad that we had this time of this week here. We're not going to have a midweek service because I want you to spend time with friends and family. This is another whole message, but family is very important. You only have one family. Some of you have very small families. Some of you have larger families. But I want to challenge you, child of God, that have a family that are not in Christ. Who's going to be their light if you won't be their light? Who's going to love them if you won't love them? What am I trying to tell you? We see the gift of a family. Jesus was born in a family. We see his dad was still alive when he was 12 years of age. We don't know much after that, but we know that he had four stepbrothers, half-brothers. The book of James, the book of Jude, we believe we were written by the half-brothers of Jesus. We had at least two sisters. The Bible says, Matthew 13, 55, I'm chronicling. Jesus had a family. And he ordained the family. And there's many verses that teach the, be- the sanctity of a family. And it's a, it's a beautiful thing. Children's children are the crown of old men. That's grandchildren, in case you don't know. And the glory of children are, are, are their father. There's to be love between honor thy father and the mother that the days may be long upon the earth. Children are an heritage of the Lord. Whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing and obtaineth favor of the Lord. Family's a good thing. Now, I say that in the context, we just got done with 10 weeks of messages back just a month or so ago on the family. All of our families are fractured. All of our families are real families with, with problems. And there's division in all of our families, and we might as well say, oh me, not amen, but oh me. But we do the best we can. God gave us a family. Keep, don't give up on your family. You keep praying for your family. Keep loving your family. They don't have to be saved to love them. Just love them. Do good to your family. Keep together. I think Americans, pardon me, I'm, I'm painting with the broad brush for one second and I'm starting to preach here and I'll get back to the text in a moment. But I think Americans, we don't understand the sanctity and the value of family. Have a tight-knit family. Do all you can to be as tight as you can possibly be. You say, preacher, my family is broken and fractured. Well, thank God for the family of God. Have a family of God. Have your, your church family, but work on your your biological, your physical, your blood family as well. So he gave gifts to us, and he gave the gift of himself, he gave the gift of his spirit, the gift of his church, the gift of other fellow laborers, encouragers, yoke fellows, the gift of family. But then for a few moments, now to our text, verse 11, Matthew chapter 2, notice quickly our gifts to him. First of all, verse number 11 says, And when they were come into the house... They saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and notice, and fell down and worshiped him. I just interject here, and it's not part of my message, it just popped in my head. 
I've said it many times, these are more than just five steps to an altar or to a stage. We create an altar every Sunday. We invite people to come to an altar, and some never come, and that's okay. I'm not, I'm not, if you're one of those people that never come, I'm not trying to make fun of you in any way. I know you say my religion is, my faith is personal and private. Okay, I, I understand that. But some like to come, and when they come, they like to, some don't kneel, but some like to kneel. See, that's humiliating. That's humbling in front of all those people. I want you to know these kings, these sovereigns, they came and they knelt. They fell down and they worshiped. I want you to notice, first of all, the gift of worship. Proscunio, I love it. The Greek word for worship, 50 times in our Bible, in our New Testament. To lick, pros, or to lap like a dog. That's what the word means. Cuneo is the word for dog in the Greek language. An unclean animal. God says, these Gentiles outside the fold, they came and they fell down in the best way they could. They gave him worship. So we're to do it the best way we can. In the biblical way we can, we are to come and give him worship. I'll just interject and say this and just move forward. We're a traditional church. There's good things for that. There's probably some not good things for that. I have a certain way of doing things. We have some high church around here. We sing How Great Thou Art. That's a high church song. We don't, we don't, we're not a contemporary church. I'm not throwing stones. I'm not against the contemporary. It just means up-to-date church. Maybe we're not up-to-date. I don't know. But the best way we can, well, some of this way I know how, I want to worship the Lord. I want him to be honored. You're not my audience. He is. And I'm not your audience. He is. We're here to worship him. They didn't care what other people thought. There was a gift of worship. Verse 12, verse 11. They gave them their, the gift of worship, but then they gave them the gift of giving. The Bible says, they worshiped him, and when they had opened their treasures... Their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold. Last time I checked, that's still considered the finest of metals, the most precious of metals. Frankincense and myrrh, the gift of giving. Someone has aptly said, and I put it in the bulletin, I think it was last week, you can love or you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. They gave first of themselves, to the Lord. They gave the best that they had. They took this long journey and they fell down and they wanted to show homage. And they gave, first of all, three things in regards to their giving. They gave their best. The songwriter says it this way. Give of your best to the master. I'm all for, I say it many times, but I, I want you to know, I only have a four-year degree and then I went on to took a few classes for my master's, never finished. I'm not the most educated guy in the world for sure. That, you can tell that by my speech. But I give the best that I have to the master. I'm all for education. Some of you have four years of undergrad work. Some of you have graduate work, two years, three years, four years, five years. And rightfully so, because your occupation or your vocation is important and requires a number of hours, a number of years of study and discipline. How much more? 
Should we give ourselves our best? Not our leftovers, not our last, but our best to the master. The prime of their life, they gave this, they took this long journey. They separated from family and friends. They went to give the best way they knew how, the, the best treasures, the best that they had. They gave of their, their best. They gave not only their best, but they gave their gold. Take my silver and my gold, Francis Abigail wrote. Not a might would I withhold. Take my life and let it be. They gave it their gold. They gave it their tithes. They gave it their wealth. They gave their best. They gave their tithe. They gave their gold. They gave of their prayers. Frankincense and myrrh both are incense and perfume uh, uh, used in the, the Old Testament sacrifices. The sweet-smelling order, sweet-smelling savor unto God. Our prayers are that sweet-smelling savor, and they represent time. It takes time to pray, sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer. It takes time to come to church. It takes time to worship. It takes time to work for God, work for the night is coming. And so our gifts to him are the gift of worship, the gift of giving, our best, our gold, our prayers. But then, verse number 12, notice what it says, and being warned of God in a dream. You see, they, they walked with the Lord, they worshiped the Lord, they gave. And God, in turn, spoke to them in a dream and they were, that they should not return to Herod. They departed into their own country another way. Notice their gift of living. We're going to go from here in just a few moments here. We're going to be dismissed here in just minutes from now. And church doesn't end on 11.45 on Sunday morning. Our Christianity doesn't come to a halt and we forget about, no. They went back to their homeland. And I can't help but think they told all the, the great adventure and the great, great opportunity they had to fall down at the king's feet and worship. And they, they gave her their very best. They were able to tell the story. They went on to, there's the gift of living. Romans 12, 1 and 2 reminds us, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. It's one thing to die for the Lord, it's another thing to live for him. And in my young age of whatever my age happens to be, I've learned long enough, I've lived long enough to realize sometimes it's harder to live for him than it is to die for him. God calls us to live for him. But I want you just in rapid fire, let me give you as we fast forward from his first advent to his second advent, consider with me for a few, few mo brief moments the gift set his second coming. When he came the first time, he came and he gave of himself, he gave of his spirit, he gave of the church, he gave of his fellow laborers, he gave of the gift of, the, he gave us the gift of family. And he saw that, we saw that through his family, how he honored his mother and father, even his stepdad. We saw how the wise men gave their gifts, the gift of worship and giving and the gift of living. But then I want you to understand, first of all, this morning here, as I was putting this message together this week, I asked myself the question I was trying to figure out from the Bible, what, were our, what are our gifts to him? And my first initial response was, we have nothing to offer him. All of our righteousness are as filthy rags. We're not all, we are like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. I heard Joni Tadison, or Tata Erickson, there's her name, I don't know if you know that name. She's a paraplegic. She's in her late 60s now. Heard her on the radio give the story of how she, when she was a little girl, she gave, went and picked out these yellow flowers from the fields, gave a, uh, a bouquet of yellow flowers to her mother. She gave a bouquet of dandelions to her mother. 
She gave her mom weeds. Some of us guys, we spend, we spend thousands of dollars, we spend over $1,000 every year to get rid of our weeds at Harvest Baptist Church or those dandelions. And that's what she gave to her mother as a five-year-old. And sometimes I feel like the only thing we can give, what do we have to give to the all-sufficient one? I hate to burst your bubble, but he doesn't need us. He's all-sufficient. He's immutable. He's not going to be lonely if we don't come. But he doesn't need us, but some miraculous, for some miraculous reason, he loved us while we were yet unlovely. And so I couldn't think of anything that we were to give, but the more I thought about it, I said, you know, there is one thing that we can give. We can give him the gift of our praise. Ephesians 1.12 says it this way, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. One day he's going to present to himself, Ephesians 5.27, a glorious church, not having any spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it would be holy and without blemish. God looks at me, pardon me, I got my 12 grandchildren here today. They're downstairs from 11 to 12, I guess. God looks at me like I look at my grandkids. Now, moms and grandma, they see wrong in my, in my grandkids. I see no wrong. And God sees me. Jesus Christ sees me, and he sees me. God sees me through the kaleidoscope of the blood of Christ. He sees me justified, sanctified. One day, be presented to the praise of his glory. The only thing we can give him is our praise. That's what we're vainly attempting to do in this last hour and 12 minutes here. But I want to end this morning here with the postulate of what, or excuse me, the proof, I should say it that way, using the math term for the third time, second time. The gift of his second coming, his gifts to us. What did he come? He was born that we might live. He, he was born to die. I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I heard last week, did you hear about the lottery ticket in South Carolina, the, the Powerball lottery ticket, $1.3 billion dollars? Has a couple months, a month or so ago, it has been claimed. They know it was sold in, I think it's Simpsonville, South Carolina. $1.3 billion. There's an expiration date on that. Somebody's got that ticket or somebody threw it away. Somebody's going to miss out on being a billionaire overnight. They bought the ticket and something happened to it. They lost it, whatever. They're going to be poor for the rest of their life, like the rest of us, supposedly in their mind. They don't, they don't even know. My friend, I want you to know that there's a ticket, and I hate to reduce it down to a filthy lottery ticket. But there's a ticket, an escape pass from a place called hell, the eternity called heaven, and it's found in Jesus Christ, the righteous, and it's a free gift. You don't even have to spend a dollar to pay for it. There's no amount of money that can ever be purchased or ever be uh, to be able to purchase this gift of everlasting life. His gift to us, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Can you fathom that? 
The answer is no, you can't. I've been trying to preach it for 40 years and I can't even begin to comprehend it. The length and the breadth and the height and the depth thereof. To live forever in heaven because the babe came 2,018 years ago. He came to give us everlasting life and then he came to give us everlasting rewards. He said, behold, I come quickly and my reward is with me. Earlier on in the Revelation, he says, don't lose that which, that, see that no man take that crown. You can't lose, Christian, your eternal life, but you can lose rewards. And I think, I, this is just pure conjecture, and I end with this. The wise men really came. They really fell down in worship. They were really guided, guided by the star and the scriptures. They really made that sojourn, that journey by faith. They really saw the Savior. They really were told to go back by the Spirit another way, back to their country. They got back to their country, and I think they told the story. This is where I begin to vision in my mind. They began to tell the other princes, the other sovereigns, the other kings, you should have came with us. We gave of our gifts to the Savior. And maybe there's some that said, we wanted to come too, but we didn't. They lost out on that ability to say, I, I really think when we get to heaven, uh, when I get to heaven, I really believe this, that one day I'm going to meet those wise men. And maybe they're going to tell me this story. And forever and ever and ever, they know that they, they were the ones that went. They believed the scriptures. They followed that star. They went and saw the little Savior. They worshiped him and they lived for him the rest of their lives. And there's going to be some sovereigns, maybe they got saved or maybe they didn't get saved back in their homeland that will wish for all eternity, oh, I wish I would have went. I wish I would have worshiped. Hey, Christian, now's the time to worship the Lord. Now we'll worship him automatically when we get to heaven. But now's the time to worship him. Now's the time to serve him. If you're not saved this morning, behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. There's presentations, there's gifts. There are gifts at his first coming. And there's gifts at his second coming as well. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word this morning. Lord, I would be foolish if I thought that everyone within the sound of this voice, Lord, is a believer in Christ. That Lord, maybe, Lord, I think that almost everyone, I'd like to think everyone believes in Christ in their head. And they acknowledge that you're real and that you're true. But Lord, there's 18 inches between heaven and hell, between head knowledge and heart application. Lord, maybe there's someone this morning that needs to receive Christ into their heart. For where the heart man believeth unto righteousness. With the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Spirit of God, do what only you can do in the heart of a life of someone this morning that needs to receive Christ as Savior. And then speak to hearts of Christians this morning. May we come, take a long journey, continue on that journey, worship and fall down every week. May we come to the house of God and worship you in spirit and in truth. Daily may we worship you and may we give of our best, of our gold, and of our time and of our prayers. And we'll be, say, we'll be able to say with the saints that have served you that it was worth it all. Pray you bless in our moments of invitation. I pray in Jesus' name I ask. Amen. As we stand to page, take our hymn book and turn to page 39.